Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Genesis about Abraham's statement to God of what will thou give me. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. We want to thank you for listening to the Friendship with God radio program, and we hope that you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program. To stay on the air in your city and on this station, we always do need your support. And you can donate and support uh, the Friendship with God radio program and the gospel going out through the airwaves. And you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. And remember, we always match your donation. Uh, your donation is always matched, whatever amount you give, and it goes towards Israel Restoration Ministries and Jewish Evangelism Outreach. So you not only support the program and the teaching that goes out through the airwaves, but you're also supporting the gospel going out to the Jew first, as we're commanded in uh, Romans 1.16. So we want to encourage you to donate towards the Friendship with God radio program, and we'll also match it towards Israel Restoration Ministries with every donation that you give. So again, go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us now or after the program at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program from the book of Genesis. It's interesting, I find the lost will call him Jesus, and they'll call him Christ, and they'll call him Jesus Christ, but they don't like to call him the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Because calling him Lord, as in the Lord Jesus Christ, is a title, and it's good they don't feel comfortable with that. Because doing that really should be reserved, as it was how Abraham used it, for those who have made this choice to make him their personal Lord. But, unfortunately, some people use the term Lord, as in personal Lord, as in Adonai, and they really haven't made God their personal Lord. They just say it. And that's a tragedy. The Bible says that is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Why? Because they think that because they call the Lord Adonai, or my personal Lord, that they're going to get to heaven. But they're wrong if they haven't really made him their personal Lord and have followed him and obeyed him and heard his voice because in the end they end up in hell. And that's a tragedy that was described by the Lord Jesus Christ when he said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, when he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, he that really has made me their personal Lord. Now, you know, he wasn't speaking Greek, even though it was written in Greek. He was speaking Hebrew. And so what he's saying here, he's just saying, not everyone that saith unto me, Adonai, Adonai, as Abraham did, shall enter into heaven. Not everyone that says to me, my personal Lord, my personal Lord, that says, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, but he that really has made him Adonai, he that really has made him my personal Lord. Because he said then in verse 22 of Matthew 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Adonai, Adonai, only say it, Adonai, Adonai, my personal Lord, my personal Lord, have I not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have we not cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, you that work iniquity. So just to call him Adonai, just to say he's my Lord, just to say he's my personal Lord, that's not enough to get into heaven because a person really has to make him the Lord Jesus Christ, their Adonai, their personal God, their personal Lord, as Abraham did. Lord, supreme authority over me 
personal. I put myself under your authority. All of that is encapsulated in the term Adonai, or personal Lord. And when they do not make him their personal Lord and do all kinds of good works, thinking that by them they can buy their way into heaven without making him their Adonai, or personal Lord, then they'll hear the most shocking, unimaginable words that's ever been spoken. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Why? They never made him their real Adonai. They never made him their personal Lord of their lives. So the term that Abraham uses here is very important. It's very significant. But then he has a question in Genesis 15 too. And he says, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So he first of all says the word what. All right, since we're talking about reward, and we're referring to an heir here, he says what. But God has just told him, it's not about what, it's about who. (laughs) He said to him, I. And the treasure is not a what, the treasure is a who. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a what, he's a who. And people refer to Christianity as an it. It's not an it, it's a who. Because Christianity is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the exceeding great reward was a person. But Abraham says to God, what wilt thou give me? There's something, when you read this, we have to see this as something very, very human. Very, very human in Abraham's response here, in in his question. And to understand this, we need to remember that God had said to Abraham that the reward, he had mentioned the reward, he's exceeding great reward. So the natural question in Abraham's heart is that who's going to inherit this reward? Speaking of rewards, don't see this as Abraham murmuring against God. He's not murmuring against God like Israel did in the wilderness. But it's been a long time. It's been a very long time since God has first promised to Abraham, maybe, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. A very long time since God has promised to Abraham he's going to have a son, and no son has come. And his relatives are having sons, and they're having children. And Abraham and Sarah just continue to go to the baby showers, (laughs) or whatever they do. They go to the baby showers and say, good for you. And everybody says, sorry for you. And he's getting old. And he's feeling desperate. And all Abraham has to do is to hold on for all those long years of no child. Is then he always got is the promise of God. And his frustration is breaking through now. And his frustration of what wilt thou give me seeing I go childless? And this is an interim time for Abraham. It's the interim time between the promise and between the realization of the time of promise. It's a time of trial. And all of our lives can be defined by what we do during the interim time. It's real easy to walk outside and say, beautiful day, wonderful sunshine, I believe in God. It's totally different to walk outside when there's a storm blowing your house away and say, I believe in God and I love God. Because our lives are made up of interim times when our confidence in God is put to the test as it was in Abraham's case here. So Abraham's question, what wilt thou give me seeing I go childless, shows how hard it was for Abraham. And on the surface, it looks like Abraham is just asking God for some clarification. God, did you mean that Eliezer was going to be my heir? But Abraham is asking for more than clarification. Abraham is letting out a cry of frustration to God. And so notice in verse 2, where Abraham uses the word seeing, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and what as if to say, Lord, can't you see? I'm going childless here. Let's get a little tension over here, if you don't mind, Lord. So verse 3 is really a repeat, it's a repetition of the same thing that Abraham has said in verse 2. That's what you do when you get frustrated, you just say it again. I'm good at that. My wife reminds me. Just repeating it, because this issue of the infertility was heavy. 
And it weighed heavy on Abraham. And Abraham is using these words, give. What wilt thou give me? Thou hast given me no seed. God has just told Abraham in verse 1 that God is giving to Abraham an exceeding great reward. And Abraham wants us to direct his eyes on, yeah, well, I'm childless. And I could use a little reward in this direction. We can feel this intense frustration that Abraham has. Because according to Hammurabi Code again, if there's no son, then the most esteemed servant in the house, he becomes the heir. And that would have been Eliezer, who evidently had been born in Abraham's house and whose parents evidently were from Damascus. So Abraham wants to direct God's eyes to the fact that Abraham had no heir, that Eliezer was from the parent who had parents from Damascus and he was a steward of the house. And so was Eliezer to be the heir? Is that what it was all about? Abraham was seeking from God. Was this what you meant when you said that I would have an heir, that it was going to be this Eliezer of Damascus? Did God just say Abraham would have a son with Sarah, and that son would be Abraham's heir, but God really meant that Abraham would not really have a son, but that Eliezer of Damascus was going to be the heir? Did God mean what he said, or did God really not mean what he said? And Abraham wasn't being rebellious here in questioning God. Abraham was just doing what David did in Psalm 142, too. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him my trouble. So that's what Abraham is doing here. He's pouring out his complaint before God. He's showing God his trouble. And Abraham, with the words of David, he's just pouring out his complaint. You can picture it. It's like he's pouring it out like a cup. And we can picture the frustration of this infertility in Abraham's life. It's building, and the cup is getting higher and higher, like a glass there, a glass, getting higher and higher. As the years drawn on, it keeps getting higher and higher. The frustration is building and building, and finally Abraham gets alone with God, and he takes the glass full of complaint, and he pours it out to God. He said, I poured out my complaint before God. And when we're frustrated, we feel like we're at the breaking point because our cup has been filling up and filling up and filling up with frustration. We're to not pour it out before men, like our spouses or women or others, but we're to get along with God and do what, he, what David says, pour out my complaint before God. And we're to do what Abraham did. I show him my trouble, like Hezekiah. He spread out this whole matter before the Lord when they was about to be destroyed in Jerusalem. What wilt thou give me seeing I go childless? I showed him my trouble. Psalm 142.2. And what happens during those times of trouble? Like Abraham, we think God is not giving, but like Abraham, God is actually giving the greatest treasure to us through this trouble because God can only be discovered through trouble. And if there's no trouble in our lives, we don't go to God. That's the way we are. But trouble drives us to God, as it did for Abraham. And then we, along with Abraham, find God. Oh, he's my exceeding great reward. Oh, if the trouble didn't come, I wouldn't have found him as the exceeding great reward. He made himself that way to be. So in this trouble, Abraham has turned his whole heart to God. And in this great frustration, Abraham has asked God for clarification about Eliezer. And in verse 4, God responds by saying, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. So what we see here is God answers Abraham directly when he says, this is not going to be your heir. So God clarifies what he meant when he told Abraham, Genesis 12, 2, I will make of thee a great nation. Genesis 13, 16, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. So he clarifies to Abraham that he is to be taken literally, not figuratively. When God says to Abraham, of thee, he meant of you, of your seed, your seed. 
God should never be taken figuratively. God should always be taken literally. There is a literal heaven that he spoke of, a literal hell that he spoke of. There is a literal Lamb's book of life from Revelation 20. And so he clarifies this. And then he says he brings them forth abroad in verse 5, and he causes them to look up and look toward heaven and tell the stars, and if he's not able to number them. And he says, you see all those stars up there, Abraham? He says, if you can count them, go ahead, start counting, because that's going to be like your seed. And so he does that. And then it says that Abraham made this great decision in verse 6. A decision he had to make. Is he going to believe what God said? And this didn't come easy for Abraham. This was a process. First, Abraham, in processing what God said, he first had to say, you know, I was wrong about Eliezer. He's not going to be my heir. It looked like Eliezer was going to be my heir because it looks like Sarah and I are too old to have children. But God has just clarified to me, nope, it's not Eliezer. God has just told me from my body, from my body. And now I've got to believe God. Turn to this in Romans 4 because this is all commented on verses in Romans 4, verses 17 through 22, where we see a great process that's taking place here. Because it says here in Romans 4, 17, as it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations. This is the deception we're in right now. Before him whom he believed, and even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. This shows a big process here. Phase one of the process was there was the screaming obvious. The obvious was screaming at Abraham. Abraham, you're too old to have a baby. Abraham, Sarah's womb is dead. There's no life going to come from that womb. Abraham, God is calling something to happen from nothing. That's against science. Abraham, you and Sarah, you're so old, you're nearly dead. And God is saying to you that you're going to have a baby? That's like saying life is going to come out of the dead. Impossible. There's no physical basis for you and Sarah to have a child. It's hopeless. And the screaming obvious in verse 17, the words, the dead, is screaming at Abraham. You can't possibly believe God. Verse 17, the things which be not, is screaming at Abraham. You can't possibly believe God. Verse 18, against hope, was screaming at Abraham. You can't possibly believe in God. In verse 19, his own body, now dead, was screaming at Abraham. You can't possibly believe God. Verse 19, the deadness of Sarah's womb was screaming at Abraham. You can't possibly believe God. And then the second phase, when Abraham had to take his stand against all those screams of you can't possibly believe God, and Abraham takes his first step, which was to not listen to those screams of the obvious. Abraham had to hang up the phone of all those screams you can't possibly. And so that comes, we see that second phase in verse 19. He considered not, verse 19, neither yet, verse 20, He staggered not. They hung up the phone. And instead, the third phase, he picks up the other line with God. And it says in verse 17, before him whom he believed, verse 18, against hope, he believed in hope. In verse 19, being not weak in faith, verse 20, he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. In verse 21, he was fully, being fully persuaded. And so, by the way, when it says in verse 20, he gave glory to God, that's the greatest step of faith. Because to give glory to God in the face of frustrations when it looks like this is impossible, that's 
faith. To praise God in the face when it looks like there's no way this is going to work out good. And we see that in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There he is on the cross. It looks like an impossible situation. He's just been forsaken by God. And he's cried out in Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the shock of it all comes through. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And on the cross, he feels the frustration. He feels the pain of having been forsaken by God. And he cries out from the deep pain in his soul, Oh, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in his forsaken state, he knows he's not being heard. And he cries out in Psalm 22.2, Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime and in the nighttime but thou hearest not and in the night season am not silent so it looks like an impossible situation for him it's just like abraham and the lord jesus christ makes a decision in that impossible situation verse 3 of psalm 22 but thou art holy o thou that inhabitest the praises of israel in the face of the screaming obvious you can't believe god you've been forsaken he decides to praise god and he says oh god thou art holy god you're beautiful in your holiness. Oh, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, your beautiful pavilioned with praises, a wreath of praises around your head. God saw this in the life of Abraham. Then came in Romans 4.13, which is the whole point of what Romans 4 is about. He says, for the promise that he should be the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. A new righteousness now, a righteousness of faith, a new righteousness is revealed to us, which is a righteousness of faith, which shows us this is not a righteousness of works. This is a righteousness of hanging up the phone on the screaming obvious of you can't possibly believe God and picking up the phone and saying, I believe God and standing before God. And when God says that, he looks down, and he says, righteous, as he did with Abraham, write down righteousness on his account. It's a righteousness of faith. That'll be what we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God of righteousness who brings us, Lord, these promises that we can believe and we can have when we take our stand, that righteousness of faith that Abraham, our father, showed us how to do. Thank you for hearing us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, at the end of today's teaching program, you mentioned Galatians 5.5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. I can imagine that some of our listeners are waiting uh, and may say that their life, while they're waiting, is filled with darkness and depression. So how can those who are waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith be encouraged even though they're suffering and discouraged and in darkness and depression? Yeah, you know, darkness and depression is very real. And the problem is that when you're in darkness and when you're in depression, you can't see any way out. You just seem to be sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And people can talk to you and you see their mouths moving, but nothing is getting through. And it's, it's a really a problem. But God gives us and tells us what the answer is. And in Psalm 119, verse 130, he, God says, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. It's the entrance of the words of God that giveth light. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Word. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word. 
He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. See, darkness is death. Death and darkness are associated with each other. And what's so important is to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is the opposite. As opposed to darkness, he is light. As opposed to death, he is life. And he is also the Word. So that means that when we come to the Bible, the more that we associate the Bible with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more that we open our hearts to the Bible, just like we open our hearts to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and let those words come in. And sometimes it's just a matter of reading and reading and reading and reading and praying and praying and seeking and seeking and asking and asking, God, oh God, as I read your word, make this word to be the Lord Jesus Christ to me. And as he enters into my soul, that light would come and dispel the darkness and dispel the death and dispel the depression. It all comes about from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Bible in hand and an open heart and a praying and seeking spirit. Then God, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the action of his Holy Spirit, comes into the heart as the words of the God, as the words of God come into the heart through the Bible and light comes and darkness leaves. And speaking of light and the entrance of light, isn't it interesting that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth was accompanied by a great light? Yeah, that's right. It's interesting because it says that it was uh, at night in Luke chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says, the angel of the Lord came upon shepherds, and it says, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. So it was the glory of the Lord as the light. It was the, you could say it was midnight that turned to a midday when they, when, when this angel came, and, and the angel angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isn't it interesting to think that this was the day that they all looked forward to from the time that they heard from the very lips of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke speaking in the Garden of Eden and telling the serpent that from the seed of the woman would come the head crusher, the one who would crush the, the, the head of the serpent. And therefore, they look forward to that day. When is the head crusher coming? And everyone who was born, even Eve, when she had her first child, Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man. And she said in the Hebrew, I have gotten a man. Kaniti, I have gotten Ish, a man. Et Adonai, she said, I have gotten a man, even the Lord. She knew and she thought that was the day when that baby was born. She was wrong. But nevertheless, she looked forward to that day when Jacob was 
was that in, in the midst of, of his speaking, and he said, I have longed for thy salvation. He said, I have longed for the day of your Yeshua, your salvation, to come to earth. All And when Isaiah predicted it would come in Isaiah 9, 6, he says, for unto us a child is, de- is born. Unto us there's going to be a day when the child is born. Unto us a son is given. Everybody longed for the day, and they looked for the, for the day for thousands and thousands of years. And when this day finally came, and when the angel said, for unto you is born this day, and those, that was the day that for thousands of years all these people of God had looked forward to and yearned for and wanted God so much to make it come in their lifetime. But in their lifetime, they heard the words, this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And how appropriate that when that happened at midnight, that the whole sky lit up with the glory of God as the light of the world came into the world to bring salvation to man. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Our resource for this month is from Tom Cantor, and it's called How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53, and it's a uniquely written presentation of the gospel. It will also include Tom Cantor's personal testimony of how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll receive both of these for a $10 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program, and you'll also receive a matching donation from Israel Restoration Ministries towards Jewish Evangelism Outreach. Now, we've reached the past three years over 5 million lost Jewish people with the gospel by going door-to-door, person-to-person, house-to-house, and giving them free gospel gifts so that they might know their Messiah, Savior, and Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. To order your copies of How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53 and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the testimony of Tom Cantor, call us today at one 800 247 3051. Just a $10 or more donation. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. You can go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can order it online. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow.